Um, I recently saw a video where somebody shared really good news uh, that got people really excited. And I think I'm just going to show it to you so you can experience this good news. But could, imagine yourself being in this place and hearing this pretty good news. And, and maybe kind of if you could put yourself in a place, how would you feel uh, if you heard this good news? This is a, a commencement speech in 2019. And uh, Robert Smith, who is a, who is a billionaire, is speaking uh, to graduates at Morehouse uh, University and uh, or college, and they uh, he gives them really good news. So let's just watch it. You get a lot better feel for it. Men of Morehouse, you are surrounded by a community of people who have helped you arrive at this sacred place and on this sacred day. On behalf of the eight generations of my family who have been in this country, we're going to put a little fuel in your bus. Now, I've got the alumni over there, and this is a challenge to you, alumni. This is my class, 2019. And my family is making a grant to eliminate their student loans. Some of the guys in the background, I love it. Yeah, you stand up for them. How good is that? my class will make sure they pay this forward. And I want my class to look at these alumnus, these beautiful Morehouse brothers, and let's make sure every class has the same opportunity going forward. Could you imagine being at your commencement for college and the speaker says, I'm going to pay off all of your debt? I mean, that's incredible, right? How, how cool that he's even in a position. He can say, uh, hey, everyone, you don't have student debt. Like you just changed the beginning of their, of their careers. Uh, to, to hear the good news that this debt has been paid. I, I mean, I couldn't, I mean, I remember I didn't have much debt, but enough. And I remember thinking, oh, cool, I get a job now. And then I get to like just keep paying for this thing for a long time. Maybe some of you are still feeling that, right? You're like, it's been a while since I've been in college. I'm still paying that. Could you imagine that good, good news? We love hearing good news. I started looking for videos uh, and there's all those incredible news. If you see those videos where people buy their parents' homes or cars, I love those pro athletes like surprise their mom with a new house and she weeps and they embrace. There's this incredible uh, moment of good Good news. And today we are in the book of Hosea. We've been in Hosea now for a little while. And in Hosea, we get to a chapter in Hosea in, in chapter three, and it really shares, uh, as you've read, like, as I've read some commentaries, this chapter of Hosea often is called like the, it is the gospel chapter. Like this explains in, in five verses how God feels about his people, what he's willing to do for his people to make sure they're his people. So he can call them my people and his people can call them his God. And this is really good news. And so we use a phrase here a lot at Hope, the gospel. We say the gospel. We talk about being in gospel community and letting the gospel fill you. And so to overflow the gospel in your life, 
You may have heard the word gospel because uh, in the Bible, the first four books of the New Testament, which are about Jesus' life, we call the gospel of Matthew and gospel of Mark and Luke and John. Maybe that's a word that, that's where we get kind of thrown around a lot, gospel. Gospel just means, the word gospel just means good news. I like the photoshopping. I'm getting really good at this. Uh, it just means good news. So we're just saying the good news, but not just like the good news, not just like, did you hear a guy paid off everyone's debt good news? We're talking like the capital G good news. What is this good news that we're called to share and that should change our lives? Well, today uh, we're going to take an opportunity to look at chapter three of Hosea and we're just going to sit in chapter three. Chapter three alone tells us the good news and it's really sweet and it's really good news. And I, some of you are like, I know the gospel. I know the good news. I, let's just sit in the good news today. Just be reminded of this good, good news that we would never, ever walk or stray from this news as the best news we've ever heard. So let's read. We're just going to read through. It's only five verses. And then we're going to take some time to walk through, unpack it a little bit, and remind ourselves of this good gospel that we have. So if you have a Bible, uh, all the scripture will be up on the screen. Um, otherwise, if you have a, an actual Bible, you can follow along with us. This is Hosea 3. Hosea is an Old Testament book. It's a book we call Minor Prophet. Um, and it's a book by, about a person named Hosea, a man who uh, was used to speak what God wanted to speak to his people, and actually more, even more than that, act out to, to show us in his life how God feels about his people. And Hosea is called to marry a woman who has had many lovers, who is adulterous, unfaithful. And now that we're in chapter three, we heard, we heard a little bit of that narrative. We heard some poetry about that. And now we're back to some narrative. And here's chapter three. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. So Hosea has uh, this wife named Gomer. She leaves and becomes unfaithful. They have some children. She probably has some children with other people as well. And uh, God says this. He says to Hosea, he go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man, is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, those are his people, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. That might be the first time you've ever heard raisin cakes in the Bible <laughs> or anywhere, <laughs> but we'll get there. What does that mean? So I brought her, I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer uh, and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days and you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way towards you. For the Israelites will live many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they'll come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. All right, we've got some stuff here to look at. What is going on here? The Lord says to Hosea, show your love for your wife again. Again, this is a picture of how God feels about his people. Ultimately, we know about us, about all people. We learned other weeks, even, even, uh, even non-Jewish people. In the end, all people, God has this feeling towards. He has this love towards them. Don't, don't miss this. It says, go show your love. It means there already was love. And now you need to show that to your wife. Bring her back. Even though she's with these other men, we have this God who's pursuing his people. 
even though they're off with other people, even though they're all for God, actually worshiping other gods, actually turning to other things, putting their love towards other things. Even consider in the moment that it doesn't say she's been asking, she's calling out, come save me, come rescue me from these other men. I don't want to worship these anymore. We, we could kind of assume she's still actively kind of running from God. He says, oh, Hosea, go run and grab your wife, just like I'm going to go run and bring back my people even when they aren't looking for me, aren't asking for me. How much harder is that even to, to show this love, to move towards someone? They're not even asking for that love. They're, they're actually maybe turning away from you, and he's still loving them. So she's following other gods and the love of sacred Raisin cakes. So we finally get to this passage we've all been waiting for. What do I do about raisin cakes in my life? Do I, do I eat them? Do I not? What does the Bible say about raisin cakes? It's a really big question our culture is asking these days. Raisin cakes are what you think. They're little, uh, they think either it's dried up raisins that were made into little cakes or bread that has cake in it. It's like fruitcake. It's like the OG fruitcake. And God's saying, Go rescue them from a fruitcake. So clearly we do now have scripture that speaks against fruitcake. <laughs> Finally, right? We've all been waiting for this. When you get your fruitcake, you say, I'm sorry, it's against my religious beliefs. I can't receive this fruitcake. Gosh, I've been waiting years to be able to use fruitcake in a sermon. Finally, I can make fruitcake. He's saying, right, they're, they're, uh, this raisin cake, all it is is it's a thing that's used. It's an item that's used in worship. So when they would go to Baal and they'd worship gods, there's a certain food they would eat. And so it's connected to that. So all it's saying is they're turning to their gods and these things called raisin cakes that they turn to, these items that they turn to, that they eat, and it's connected to their worship. So it's just one of the examples. It's just like these people would know, Hosea would know, uh, in that time, you said, hey, they're eating raisin cakes, sacred raisin cakes. Oh, that means they're worshiping these certain gods that aren't the Lord. So again, just consider the beginning of our good news here is that God loves, consider the amount he loves to rescue people who don't even, aren't even asking for rescue. If that was me. It's not me. It'd be very easy to say, have fun with your raisin cakes. I'll find other people that actually want me to love them. Our God doesn't do this. He, he calls Jose to do this so he can act out this example of what God looks like to his people. So first he goes, show your love, go back and get your wife, bring her away from those other gods, from those items used to worship other gods, but it's not as easy as just saying, hey, come home, or grabbing an arm and pulling her home. He actually has to pay something for her. There's, a, there's actually a, something that's owed, probably a debt that's owed. He has to buy her back. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. Right? We all know how much that is, right? I mean, we swing by Aldi and grab a homer and a lethic of barley every day. He has to pay her something. Now this amount is 15 shekels. Uh, what this would have been was about the amount that you would maybe have to pay to buy someone who is indebted, who maybe would have even been in, enslaved. So we can uh, guess that she maybe was a slave or maybe a concubine to a man. 
She was just maybe just even being used uh, uh, just for sex or uh, just being, just paying off a debt to someone. She may have gotten herself so far from God so, in a place where she was doing things where she was indebted to people that she had to become a slave to even pay back that debt. And so now she's owned by a person. They could, could have possibly even have been owned, just used for worship. There were women that were just used uh, for the worship of Baal, that, that even men would share in order to worship Baal. It's, it's terrible. It's not at all what God has for her. And so he says, I want her back. And you know what it's going to cost me to get her back? I'm going to have to actually pay a certain amount, 15 shekels and this amount of barley. This is about how much it would have cost to buy someone out of slavery, bring her home. It's also interesting, um, if you have read the Gospels and you're aware of how much uh, Judas spent, this is about the same amount. So it's about half uh, of what it costs to get a slave out in money and half in goods. And so if you get half the money and half the goods you put them together, it's, it's around the same as 30 pieces of coin, which is what Judas spent to, to uh, buy, to, was paid to, to betray Jesus. Kind of a wild note, huh? Sort of a moment that points us. We see that it points us, zooms us forward to that moment. We're going to hold off getting there yet, but we're going to get there. So he has to pay something to get her back. And so he does. He pays something to get her back. And then when he gets her back, he says, we're going to live, you're going to live with me many days. You're with me now. I'm going to ask you to not be a prostitute anymore. I'm going to ask you actually to not be intimate with any man. You think probably in the passage you're saying like anyone, even for Hosea and his wife, even me. Right now, we're not, that's not going to be part of our relationship. You're not going to be intimate with me. And I will behave the same way towards you. We're going to be together for many days, but that, that, we're going to hold off on that. Seems like a weird request, right? Kind of a strange thing to ask of her. It might be that he's just asking her, I'm not going to use you in the way you've just been used. I could imagine if she had been used uh, as a slave and used uh, just in sexual acts in worship, and then he buys her back, she might feel like she's just being bought by another man who's going to use her again. There seems to be some grace in this. The thing that has been causing you to walk away from me, the thing that's brought darkness and sin, the thing that's destroying you, that's bringing death, we can be together and we don't, that's okay. We're going to let that sit. That's not why I want you. I don't want you for that. And so he gives her uh, this, commands her, calls her to do this. And he says, I too, we're going to be together, but not intimately close yet. So he's loved her. He said, I love you. I'm going to chase after you. I'm going to pull you away from these other gods. I have to pay for that. I'm going to pay this amount to get you out of slavery. So you're back. You're free. You're with me. And I don't just have you like any other God has you. It's a different kind of relationship. And then he explains, well, because again, Hosea, this is going to be a picture of what my people look like. He says, you're going to be with me many days. And he says, it's because the Israelites will live 
many days without a king or prince or without sacrifice or sacred stones, or without ephod or household gods. And afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they'll come trembling to the Lord. So the first thing we hear is because God's people will, will be with him many days, and they're going to be without as well, without these things. What are those things? A king or a ruler. These sacred stones, they actually would have uh, like carved stones that were used in worship. And actually even God has some that are just remind God's people of all the things God has done. But those things often would get turned from these good things that remind us of God and points to God. They get turned in Baal worship to like actual stones they would worship and sacrifice and give food to or, or lay money out to, thinking that if they did that, those stones then could give them things. The ephod is actually just the apron of the of a, a priest. So it's like saying you're going to do, do without like a king or a ruler. I've given you kings and rulers and they have turned you away. God gave them rulers and said, hey, take my people and continue to help them worship me. And then they built golden calves and they said, hey, worship this thing. They're, they're not helping you come to me. Those stones are not no longer doing that. Even the priests are no longer, they're, they're dressing themselves and they're not using that to help worship me, they turned away. And then household gods, they actually make small statues that would go in their homes. There actually is a history of these where they just would carve things that would remind them of how good God was. Maybe they're just even an image that reminds them of like the Exodus when God rescued them from slavery. And those just quickly turn into things that are the end game. I'm just going to worship this stone statue of, of an image of Moses rather than the actual story of our God rescuing us. And so he says, you're going to do without those things. It's just going to be you and me. Um, Sky uh, says this. I really like how he talks about, he wrote a book called With. Um, it's talking about what it looks like through scripture to think of how important it is that we're just with God. And I, I think this hits on what we're seeing here. Today, according to the New York Times, each person is exposed to 35 hundred desire-inducing advertisements every day. That's a desire-inducing advertisements. 3,500, that seems wild. When I first read it, I went, no way. And then I'm like, yeah, just in like two minutes, scrolling on something, how many things am I seeing that are, are telling me and drawing me in? Rodney Clapp wrote, the consumer is schooled is insatiability. He or she is never to be satisfied, at least not for long. The consumer is tutored that people basically consist of unmet needs that can be appeased by commodified goods and experiences. So we're taught, we're trained that we can never really be satisfied, but this next thing maybe is the thing that will. So then it doesn't. So then there's the next thing is we, it isn't just part of kind of who we are. We're really trained to be these people. There's these things that we just keep going after, right? We might read this passage and say, Weird. Why would you have stone things that you worship? Why would you go after these little gods in your house? Why would you have the priest tell you that they can do something that God can't do? What, what, why would you worship your king? It's just one thing after another, right? They, they weren't scrolling through anything, but they had plenty of things around them that they thought, this will satisfy me. And it doesn't. This thing will bring me what I really want, and it doesn't. God's saying, I'm going to, I love you. I'm going to come after you. I'm going to pay to get you back. And then you're just going to be with me. I'm going to strip away all these things that maybe you thought were going to bring 
ultimate satisfaction? Because they don't. You're just going to be with me, the one who does. Look at the language that we saw here. It says you're going to be with me many days. I'll behave the same way towards you. We're going to just be with each other and you're going to be without your king, your sacrifice, your stones. I'm going to strip these away, not because I, I don't, I'm jealous of them. And I think, oh, those aren't cool. I want you just to hang with me because those really have never done what you think they're going to do. And I want you to just have time with me. One day I will return and that fully you'll be with me. It'll just be us. And you'll realize and you'll know oh, that is really all I need to just be with you. And here it's, it's actually giving us a little history. In this time when Hosea wrote this, right after this, they would have actually been pushed out of their land. Assyria would have come in and taken uh, the land. And then there would have just been a series of them continuing not really to ever be home. They're never really home in a place. But then eventually it says King David will come. Which is interesting. If, if you know a little history, uh, David is long gone by this point. That seems strange. David's going to come. He's going to like resurrect. Or is it like David part two? There's like a sequel David that comes. Right? If you see this in, in scripture, in Old Testament, often they'll say this phrase like right, David, their king will come or the David will come or David will be there. It's referring to the better David. The greater David, it's Jesus. So historically, actually, in the, in the real timeline, God says, Hosea, I want you to bring this wife back because Israel's going to have this season where they're going to be without. They're going to be exiled. They're going to not be, have a home, a land. They're just going to be with me. And then, and then David, the, the good, perfect, good, better David is going to come. He's going to rescue them. And we know in the story, right? He's betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. He's put on a cross and he pays the debt to buy us back so that we can be with our God. And so all these things that are used, he says you can be without these. And it just can be us. Because it's really what you were made for. It's really what I'm, I'm not saying, Hosea, this picture is that she should find other ways to get things from you instead of those men. It's just about us being together. We just get to be together. That's what you were made for. Tim Chester says it really well. He says, God's judgment on Israel was a microcosm of his judgment on humanity. This means salvation is more than a return to the land. So if, if, if he's talking to Hosea, he, he wants his people to know, this isn't just about, hey, um, come back to me because someday I'll give the people back land. So often they just want that land. They want to rule that place. He's saying, oh no, God's, God's saying you're going to be without all these things because the final destination of God's saving purposes is just to return to God himself. Do you hear that? This is really important. The final destination is for us to return to God himself. I think it's easy we start thinking about this word gospel and this good news. The good news could be like, hey, you know, you, you feel sad sometimes and if you come, let God rescue you and you'll be given happiness. We've been given God is what we've been given. And maybe out of that, we, we have moments of joy and peace and those things that we do desire, but that actually just having him is the greatest, is the goal. Sky uh, continues talking about this. He says, by placing all of our focus on receiving God's blessings and gifts, which is the system that Gomer was in. That's kind of how it was working for her and the people she was with. 
We do things so God gives us things. We behave just like the arrogant young man in the story, the uh, parable of the prodigal son we talked about last week. So that son who left his family, was found himself to just to, to get things right, to do what felt right and felt good, found himself in a pigsty and then returned to his father. We value what God can do for us, but not God himself. We seek a relationship with God as a utilitarian means to an end. I, I worship you. I come to you, Lord, because you're going to give me the thing I want. You're, you're a giant vending machine that gives me the thing that I want. And although we may praise him with our words, our hearts are set on what we hope to get from him. We become jerks cloaked in religiosity. Isn't that great? I would love to say that to you, but I'll just let him say it to you. <laughs> I become a jerk cloaked in religiosity. I even love that language. In, in Colossians, we were supposed to be clothed in Christ. And here it's like, we're gonna clothe ourselves in religion, clothe ourselves in worship of stone, pillars of household gods, of, of, of religious acts. Maybe even cloak ourselves in following a certain ruler or leader because we just want to get what we can get from them. How careful we need to be. But the story is really about our God loving us and rescuing us, paying for us so we could just be with him. That's the good news. Because there's nowhere I can go and nothing I can do and no situation I get myself into that that still isn't true. As is, is, is dark as it gets and as light and exciting as it gets, I'm still with him. It's, it's the one thing that doesn't change. And so we see this five verses shares the good news with us. That God loved us, that he pursued us, that he pulled us away from slavery and death, that he was willing to pay to get us back. And then he says, I'm going to be with you. And that one day it's all going to be right. Jesus has come, he's rescued us, and there'll be a day when it all we really truly will be with him. I think we can miss this. Um, if we're reading Hosea and we don't come away with go, holy Oh, Lord, you're good. I want to be with you. We miss it. In a commentary with Tim Chester, he actually quotes a bunch of different people's views of the book of Hosea. So lots of like well-known theologians says, this is a weird book because people are unsure what to do with this because it's like not, it's not cool to tell someone to marry someone who's been adulterous to them. Like typically, like if someone came to me and said, hey, we're dating one of us cheats a lot. I'd say, oh, maybe let's not date for a little while. Let's figure that out, right? I wouldn't go, you know what the Lord wants? Marry each other. Then everything will be good. <laughs> it won't. So this seems weird, right? It seems almost like the like, Bible can't be really just saying that. That doesn't seem right. doesn't seem to line up. Why would God tell this story? Why would he create this picture that doesn't seem right? And in fact, he says Calvin would, um, John Calvin, the like, giant, right? The historian that everyone loves. He said, he actually says this probably is just a vision because God couldn't have disgraced himself in that way of saying, I'm like Hosea, who's marrying someone who's been unfaithful because that disgrace actually then like lands on him as the husband who marries her saying, you marry that girl, you're now kind of dirty. You're disgraceful. And so Tim says this, Calvin says, and yet it seems not consistent with reason that the Lord should thus gratuitously render his, this is very old language, just keep following on, gratuitously render his prophet 
contemptible. For how could he expect to be received on coming uh, abroad before the public after being brought on himself such disgrace? So how could he bring on this woman and then expect to go to the public and say, hey, I am I'm a mouthpiece for the Lord. I speak on behalf of the Lord. They'd say, yeah, but you're the guy who married that girl who's been with all these other men. This we know was not done, says Calvin. So Calvin's saying this can't be true. How could God disgrace himself? I love this. He says, but this is the point. It was not done, but the Lord has done it. It was contemptible, but the Lord has opened himself up to contempt. It was a disgrace, but the Lord has brought disgrace on himself by making a covenant with the unfaithful Israel. This act, which supposedly renders Hosea unqualified to be a prophet, is the very act that qualifies him to speak on the Lord's behalf. One cuckold speaks on behalf of another. Cuckold is someone who marries someone who's unfaithful. Do you hear this? Our God disgraced himself for us. This is incredible. This story, yeah, it doesn't make sense. God shouldn't disgrace himself, but our God does so that we could be in relationship with him. Again, this is the good news. This is the good news. It doesn't make sense. He should have said, go, you're terrible to me. But our God, thankfully, is not like us. And so, friends, this is the gospel. So when we say gospel, 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 this is at the core of it, right? There's lots to the gospel at the core of it. The thing that each day I want us to wake up and, and remember the thing I want us, the note written on our, our mirror, the thing when you've had that day and you get in your car and you're like, what is going on? This is the thing we have to remember. Not that our God is too good. He's too holy to to come near to us, who says, sorry, you're bad. Get away. But our God who loves us dearly. Just look at how the gospel is expressed here in Hosea. The Lord loves. This is the start of the gospel. It starts with a God who creates us, loves us dearly, is with us. And then even in the gospel, we hear the story of us. Even though we have a God who loves us, we turn to other gods. He loves us. We turn to other things, including raisin cakes. And what does he do? We're in slavery. He buys us back. Jesus comes and lays down his life and buys us back. This is really good news and it just gets better. He doesn't just buy us back and say, okay, you're not in slavery. Now go stop doing dumb stuff. I'll talk to you later. He's with us. He says, no, I'm going to draw you near. And the things that you were used for before, the things that you went to that ended up hurting you, giving you wounds and scars and bringing death. I don't even want you for that. I just, I just want to be with you and you just get to be with me. And one day I'm going to return and make all things right. This right now, when you get in your car and you've had the day and you go, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I don't even want to drive home. You turn off the Zoom call. I don't, I'm done. This doesn't, it doesn't make, it's broken. And he says, no, I will come back. The gospel is that God will come back and make things right. This is really, really good news. Way better than getting your student loans paid off. That's pretty good news. This is like everyday life-changing news, changing your heart news. There's one uh, scripture that comes to mind 
One that I, I'm hesitant to go to. One that I say, uh, okay, I want to figure out. In fact, I Googled the gospel in a couple verses. I thought, I know there's a few places that like people memorize one verse that just to help them like evangelize, tell people about Jesus. But this is the first. It, these verses over, was overused, right? Some of us grew up with like people painting this on their chests at football games or you see signs for it. And you think like, oh, okay, yeah, John 3, 16. There's a reason people put those on signs. There's a reason why we have our kids memorize that verse first because it's so important. And it says the same thing Hosea 3, 1 through 5 says, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not die, but we'd have eternal life and be with him. Do you hear that? He, he pursued us and bought us through Jesus' life so that we could be with him. Wow, that's good news. That's really good news. And that is the good news that we cling to. That's really all we got. I um, Yesterday, I uh, got to officiate this wedding. And afterwards, uh, I, I didn't know him. As a friend of the family came up and he said, hey, good job up there, which I get a lot of, good job, Reverend. Good job, Father. I got a couple of fathers. <laughs> Helps, you know, like, they're Catholic, I guess. Uh, well, thanks, thanks. And he said, man, I haven't heard. You just kept talking about the gospel. And he said, it's kind of nice. And I said, oh, it's kind of all I got. And he laughed. And I said, "I really, that's really all I got. <laughs> I don't have really any wisdom about marriage past the gospel. And he was like, oh, that's cool to think about. I'll have to think about that one. And I was like, yeah, you should think about that one. I thought, I just, it's all we got. That's all I got. That's all we got, friends. I'm going to invite our, our uh, worship team up. Uh, and this is what we get to do now. We get to sing the gospel. We get to proclaim again this good, good news. If you notice in all the songs we sing, um, is really the same story over and over again. A God who loves us, who bought us back, who's with us. And the good news it is. A few things to consider as we uh, take some time to reflect. Whether you want to sit and pray and reflect or sing with us, our last minutes here this morning together uh, are just a time to reflect on the gospel, let it land. And here's a few things to consider. Even when you didn't know or care, Jesus paid for your life. Are you aware of that? Do you know that? You might even be sitting there like, I don't want Jesus to pursue me. And he is. So what do you do with that? Have you considered the cost for your life? How does that inform your identity? When you consider the cost that Christ paid for you, how does that change how you think about yourself? And what do you run to for satisfaction? Is God himself enough? Are you even running to him for things other than him? And then how could, how could knowing God is with us change your day? Would it look like to wake up and say Emmanuel, which means God is with us? What does it look like to wake up and say, that's real. And I want to encourage you to consider what that changed about people around you. How that changed your friend's day if they knew that God was with them. And you might have a chance to tell them that. What does that look like for you to tell them that? Let me pray for us and we're going to sing. Lord, thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you'd love us even when we run from you. Thank you that you would buy us back and that you would not to, to use us, to, to just be with us. God, I pray we would be with you right now. Your spirit would be here. He'd be working in us healing us, encouraging us just because we get to be with you. 
I pray as we sing these words, Lord, they'd be sweet and good, good news to our hearts. And Lord, that you'd use us this week to bring that good news to those who are looking for good news. I pray we'd see more and know you because of that. I pray this in your really good name. Amen.